You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus came to reveal God and redeem His people. Learn more about this in week three of our series, Rediscovering Christmas. We are going through this series entitled Rediscovering Christmas. And the whole purpose of this series is to help us understand uh, what Christmas is like when the New Testament writers were writing it from their perspective. And so we bring you back in the first century. And, uh, you know, I know that when you talk about Christmas, we are all so familiar, you know, being a, you know, a country celebrating Christmas for four months with all the colors, the icons, the symbols. But yet, uh, we want to go back and find out what was the intention, real intention of the writers when they were writing it. So, uh, first week we talked about Matthew. And Matthew was focused on basically writing to the Jews. And his uh, Christmas, when he was talking about the narrative, focusing on the, you know, uh, the story of Joseph and Mary, he wanted to present Jesus as the Messiah that would bring about salvation, not only for the Jews, but of course for everybody, but focusing primarily on a Jewish audience. So we've learned two weeks ago that uh, Matthew was talking about him being a Messiah. Messiah. He talked about Jesus. Uh, he came here to redeem us from our sins. And uh, he also was Emmanuel. One of his names is Emmanuel, uh, meaning God with us. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's why if your name is Manny, it's a nice uh, Christmas name, okay? Uh, last week we talked about Luke. And Luke happens to be a doctor. He wrote both Luke and Acts. And he focused on, you know, presenting Christmas from the point of view of Mary. And uh, how he was able to be more sensitive, not only to the Jews, because his audience was the general audience, the Gentiles. And he wanted to present Jesus as the king, not only of the Jews, but the king of all. And so he started off by, you know, bringing into the picture the humble shepherds and how he focused also on the lowly people, okay? So that's why when you start reading Luke, you'll notice that he would always include people who are marginalized, uh, the shepherds, the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. The women are very much involved in his story. And so we've learned that uh, when Luke was presenting uh, Jesus, he presented him as a humble king. He's a sovereign king, and he is also the king who brought us peace. Today we're going to be looking at Christmas from the point of view of John, okay? And so it's a privilege for me to be able to share this pulpit because um, when we were developing, actually, Alabang was, uh, happens to be the one to develop this whole Christmas package that's being used for all the, you know, different victory churches in the Philippines. And so part of the team who helped develop this uh, with me and Bishop Ferdi is actually J.J. Basada, one of our bright young minds here in Victory Alabang, okay? He's actually one of our ministry interns, uh, soon to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, he'll be, uh, you know, preaching here today. So I get to listen to him uh, and also, uh, you know, uh, help him also, uh, you know, be, be raised up as one of our voices here in Victory Alabang. So why don't we all welcome right now to preach on John, okay? We discover Christmas, J.J. Basada. John Jerry. Thank you, Pastor Ariel. Truly appreciate the opportunity to serve God through the preaching of the word. I am, I always say this whenever I step on this stage, I always am excited. At the same time, something in me trembles whenever I preach the word. Not because of you, 
but because of the weight of the word really that is to be preached today. So if you're here for the first time, I'd like to welcome you. I hope that, you know, as you listen to the word being preached, God will really speak to you. And if you're here and you're part of this family, I pray that God would really speak to you today. I am in such a privileged state to be serving among um, the great men like Pastor Rain, Pastor Ariel in this wonderful series, Rediscovering Christmas. In fact, if you're here, won't you agree that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year? (laughs) And it's a song, if I'm not mistaken, it's Andy Williams who sung this song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There's traffic and um, mall is brimming over to the doors, lines for shopping, gift wrapping, and everything in between. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year with family. That's my beautiful family. That's my wife, Isel, and my one-year-old, Tala. It's the most wonderful time of the year for feasting. Um, we get to use those plates that we never use on regular days. <laughs> Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year for the gifts and the most wonderful time of the year for the images of Christmas that pass through our minds every single day. For the next few months, we will be celebrating this. Like this month until next month, I think. Until maybe around the first week of February. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But I think it begs the question, why is it the most wonderful time of the year? Because this, this word wonderful is just a word that is packed with so much that I think it, we need to ask ourselves, what's the wonder this Christmas? What makes our hearts really wonder and enjoy and excite our hearts this Christmas? And I believe that John has this wonderful piercing message that he has for all of us. And the Holy Spirit, I pray, would pierce our hearts with this wonderful word, wonder. You know, which relates to the word awe, right? There's a sense of awe in Christmas. There's a sense of amplification of emotions whenever it's Christmas, if you think about it. Like, um, I've, I've attended around two weddings already this Christmas. And I'll be attending, I think, two more by the end of the year. And, and Christmas kind of amplifies the celebration, right? You know, the, the feeling, it's festive. But at the same time, hard emotions, sad emotions are amplified as well, right? this season. So if it is the most wonderful time of the year, why is it wonderful? And how do we find wonder if in this season, you're not feeling like it's wonderful? And and truly the Word of God has that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful word for us. So I invite everybody to stand up as we rediscover Christmas through the lens of this brilliant mind, John. And of course, Only the Holy Spirit can have him write this beautiful. We'll read through the first parts, the first few verses of the book of John. We'll read 18 verses, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And he will start this wonderful book with this poem and song. That as we read it, I pray that the Holy Spirit would really speak to us. So open our Bibles, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. True light which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, be with us today through your Holy Spirit. Maybe the, the language, may the language of the redemption of Christ be proclaimed today in your place. Lord, I pray that you would use the weak words that I have, the weak minds that we have, so that we can scale the infinity of your love and your grace. Today, Lord God, excite us to celebrate you and you alone. We're not going to be talking about anything new. All of it is revealed from your word. So Holy Spirit, apply it into our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. We now take our seat. Truly, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And I, I say that with a lot of excitement in my heart. Because one of the many things that I love about our Christmas celebrations is that it brings so much memories, right? You know, it, it brings those family gatherings, those, those gifts that you received when you were younger. But what's interesting with our series right now is that we're, we're, we're trying to look back into this first century event that changed history all over. It toppled everything upside down because of the birth of this man named Jesus. And again, as I've said in our prayer, there's nothing new in this message. We know the story. We've heard the songs. We know the images. But it's not just about what we know. And it's truly about how this knowledge pierces our lives. In fact, if you're here and you're a visitor, um, I guess what's interesting today is as we look at the book of John, it, he, it doesn't tell something like the story of Matthew and Luke. Remember, like, if you think about it, right? Matthew tells you a story of Jesus, that he was born this way. Joseph, the angel coming. Luke tells you a story. You have the story of the angel coming, showing himself to um, Elizabeth and the family, Zechariah, and then Mary. And then Mark does not tell you anything. Okay? <laughs> you open the book of Mark and that's it. He's 30 years old. <laughs> he doesn't have a birth narrative there. But John opens up with this interesting prologue, as, as most people call it. It's a prologue that in many ways is a poem. It's a song. If you observe it closely... If you place attention to the words. In fact, you know, when I was a beginning Christian, my, the leader, the person that led me to Christ told me, the first book that I want you to read is the book of 
John, you remember this, right? You know, if, if, you're, if you're starting with your walk with God, yeah, the best book you could start with is the book of John. And then I opened the book of John and I went through this and I said, huh? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Huh? Have you ever paused to really peace slowly what these words mean? Especially if you're here and you're hearing this for the first time. This is one of the weirdest passages if you think about it. In the beginning was the Word. Capital W Word. Have you ever noticed that? And, and, and many times we assume that we just know it and we just place it there and we say, yeah, that's God. In the beginning was God. And God was with God. And the God was God. What's that? Or some of us fill it with the Word. What do you fill the Word with? Word with Jesus, right? So you say, in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And, and that's an interesting way of really doing it. And that's, I believe that's true. But let me backtrack a little bit and let's think through this as early readers read this. Think of yourself as a young Jewish man who read your Torah or your first five books of the Bible. Remember? Genesis. And you memorize it by heart. So much so that when you hear in the beginning, your mind automatically fills it with God, right? Because you memorize your Bible. Your first book in the Bible, Genesis, tells you, in the beginning, God. But John disturbs them with placing a different word. Instead of saying in the beginning was God, he says the word. And this word is an interesting word because it's, it's telling them a story. It's a song that tells a story. Remember how songs are? In fact, in this, in this time together, we have around 30, 40 minutes. I only have two points in 40 minutes. And, and what I hope to do is to point you to the grand truth of the two points that John is making you see through the word of God. So he's saying this. In the beginning was... The Word. He's recalling to them this God who was in the beginning himself there. The creation image. And the Word was with God. Interestingly, what he does is that he was there. He, is, he was there in the beginning. And then he was with God. There's equality but distinction. You see this? He was with God. There's equality to this word and God, but they're distinct because they're, they're together. Imagine this. And the word was God. And this is where a lot of people, in, in fact, we can go around an hour just talking about that phrase right there, was God. <laughs> There's a lot of things there, but I'll just say it this way. What John enters into, his thesis statement is this. That there's Jesus. In the beginning, he was not, he did not come into the picture when he was born. In the beginning, he was there. In the creation of everything, Jesus was there. And he was with God, his equal God, and he was in form, in spirit, not yet flesh. He was in form God. So think through this and think of the wonder of Christmas. I guess. One of the many things that this modern life had snatched away from us is a sense of awe in life. 
a sense of awe towards God. I think it snatched it away from us because we have, for some, to some extent, we have been so uh, contented with images of, uh, well, I can explain that, so it's okay. And when something is unexplainable, we go, well, maybe that's not true. But the early readers, when they saw this, had a sense of awe in their hearts. So you're saying to me that Jesus, this story, is the God. Now, I see some of you go, uh, okay, I knew that. <laughs> in fact, in my youngest years, I know Jesus is God. Think about that. Because that word God can be an empty word. The word God can be so filled with just assumptions. And we need to ask the word of God to really fill the word God with meaning to us. Are you, are we in awe of this? That in the beginning, in eternity past, this mighty, wonderful God was there. He continues his image. So I said, it's the thesis statement and he develops it. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. Sorry. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's describing this divine, great, wonderful God who by his word created everything who by His voice says, let there be light. And there was light. Think of how this is a wonderful thing. Think about how at this moment, we're trying with our finite minds to scale the infinity of this God. It's just something, I think, that we need to pause to imagine Jesus is God. He was the Word. He was with God. He's the divine Word. The John is pour, pu pushing into the forefront this image that before I even talk to you about this Jesus being born, I want you to understand. I want you to fully grasp him and I want you to fully imagine Jesus is God. And I don't want to assume that we all understand that. Because for us, and for me, for a long time at least, the, the, the statement, Jesus is God, is merely a statement. And in fact, for some of us, maybe, the, the statement, Jesus is God, is merely just a statement that we say. <laughs> and how do I know that I fully grasp the divine word? There's something in our hearts that lights up something in our minds that brings us to a point of awe and reverence whenever we think about Christmas. Christmas can be so busy, so fast, so everything. But have you ever paused in reverence of this God and realized, wow, I am celebrating the divine word. I cannot overemphasize this reality. He continues with saying, in the beginning it was with God and all things, all things. Imagine the vastness of this universe. 
I was looking through, um, you know, I, I tried to do something more scientific than I usually do. I tried to search, how heavy is the earth? And I found this number, 16 and 24 zeros, which I cannot pronounce. Okay? How do you say septillion? <laughs> you know? This heavy blob of rock floats. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> and all of us is in this big Big rock that flows and revolves around the sun. And it says here, all of those things are created by God. I think it takes a little bit of imagination to just imagine how great and majestic this reality is. That God had created everything. Colossians has that phrase. We were created through Him and for Him, according to Paul. That in, in God's creative design, we have been created through Him and for Him. That's the wonder of Christmas. We are celebrating something that is beyond ourselves, that is beyond our imaginations, that is beyond our minds. I am much afraid that our lenses of Christmas that have been so self-centric, like many of the things of the world, <laughs> we have turned the scope to ourselves and said, Christmas is about me. Christmas is about my things, my celebration, my family, my things. But I want you to know this. Christmas is for us. But it's never about us. It is for us. In many ways that we will talk about as we go through John's prologue. It is for us. But it's not about us. The center point of the Christmas celebration is a reverential awe that only can only be had if you have encountered this God. In fact, if you're here, and you just visited us and, you know, you're not a follower of Jesus at all. I do not expect you to be in awe of this. Really. I was walking through a mall one time and, you know, I realized they have this big Christmas installation. You, know, you see this in malls, right? You know, Christmas tree. And then they have these big mushrooms. And then they have this small, what do you call them? Um, the, huh. The elves, yeah, right? Elves and gifts and there are lights and people are taking pictures. And in my mind, I ask, where's Christ? I'm much afraid that the modern world celebrate a Christmas that's Christless. But I do not blame the world. I do not blame unbelievers to not have Christ in their Christmas. Why? They're not in awe of this. But if you're here and you're saying in your heart, God, you are my God. Jesus, I want to follow you. This means this. John is piercing through the noise of everything and saying, put Christ there in the center. He's divine. He's the pinnacle of all things. Much so, your Christmas. In Him. Was life. And the life was the light of men. <laughs> when you look at this, you need, to, you need to imagine. 
He's not doing anything new. What comes to your mind when you read these words? In the beginning was the word. And then there's light. He's recalling the image of Genesis. Right? In the beginning was God and God said, let there be light. And there, light. And there was life as he spoke it. There's nothing new here. He's, he's placing them into this old image. He's reminding them of this God. He's linking the story. You have 39 books. Our New Testament is just around 26% of the Bible. <laughs> and we have around 70 plus percent of Old Testament heavy narratives. And John in this lines, in these lines, are, are hyperlinking. You know hyperlinks, right? And you click them, you go to the, the place. He's hype. This Bible is a very heavily hyperlinked thing. <laughs> it links all stories. When you click it, it goes everywhere. <laughs> He's recalling. Remember that God that spoke everything into creation in seven days? Man, He's Jesus. And in this Jesus is life. And that life is light. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Again, images. In the beginning, there was what? Chaos, void. And the light pierced through that. But John, in the present day, as people read this, see this as this. In this Jesus, there's life and there's light. And this light, the darkness, the world of darkness that they live in at that time, first century Christians, has not overcome it. Some quick thoughts on overcome. Overcome is an interesting word here. In fact, if you compare translations, some translators would say overcome, ESV does, and some translators would say understood. And it's an interesting because both, the word means both overcome and understood. It's the same. So it says, and the darkness has not understood this light. And at the same time, he has not overcome this light. That's play on words. Poetry. <laughs> so he's saying this. The word of darkness does not understand this, right? The world of darkness does not understand this Jesus becoming this light, becoming this source of everything. And they also, the principalities, would not overcome this Jesus. Interesting way of putting it. That in this world, think about it, there would be people that would look at our Christmas celebration, would go, huh? Really? That's your Christmas? There's an all-out war this Christmas. The world is an all-out mission to erase the Christ in our Christmas. You notice how many advertisements would call it happy holidays? <laughs> Just so it would be everybody celebrating it. Just so everybody could universally look at it and say, well, yeah, you're happy, we're also happy. <laughs> but Christmas is only a wonderful season because of the reality of the life that came through Jesus. We must be thrilled if we are believers of Christ. And if we're not, we must consider That the light shines in the darkness and it has not overcome it. And then, 
he goes into this. So he tells you the main point. He tells you, he develops that. And then he breaks into this guy, John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, if you've been tracking through our series, you would notice in the birth narrative, there is always John, right? You notice that? Matthew, right? I mean, he's mentioned there. And then Luke, of course. In fact, he's the first prophecy angel there, remember? And then Mark also has that, John, right away. And then John has John. In fact, this is a different John, by the way, okay? Don't be confused. John here is John the Baptist. The one author is John the Beloved. Can be confusing. They have few names. <laughs> okay. So John the Baptist is always mentioned in incarnation narratives. Why so? Why so? There are two ways to explain it. First is this. At the outburst of the Jesus movement, John the Baptist was already popular. He was the last Old Testament prophet. If you think about it. He was calling people to believe God, baptizing them before Jesus came in and was baptized. He was the popular guy. In fact, people were following him. So by, by invoking that image in their narratives, they're saying, oh yeah, so that's the guy they're talking about. But another thing is interesting. As we look, look through what John is doing here and what the Bible is doing, it's hyperlinking you to the image of prophets of old. It's making you recall how God sent messengers right? To call people to God. And it's always been like that. So, imagine, again, um, those who love the Bible, and I believe that's around 100% of this place, amen, you know. <laughs> so, he recalls the image of Genesis, and then he's recalling images of the prophets, right? Of the prophets coming in, and then he says this, he came as a witness, a bear witness about the light and the light that all might believe through him, he was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. I wish we had more time to just put that more. But then, I'll just say this. So he's recalling to you the image of prophets that came in the past. And people, and they would bear witness. Isaiah would bear witness. Remember, Jeremiah would bear witness. But this is what happens. True light comes and which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. For the longest of time, 39 books, this has been happening. Prophet come in, declares, come believe, repent, and they don't. See what he's doing? He's summarizing 39 books in 11 verses. <laughs> That's interesting. He's hyperlinking all these images to tell you that this Jesus is God. And this story is continuing here. These people did not receive him. But there's something that we must see in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Something about receiving makes us children of God. What's the wonder of Christmas? Why is it the most wonderful time of the year? Because John says this, that the infinity of the grace of God and the glory of God expressed through Jesus. And as you believe, as you receive, you become children. Become 
people of God. What's the wonder of Christmas? It is found in the redemption that Christ brings. Interestingly, we know this. <laughs> you know that, right? I mean, you know, this not, again, this not, it's an old time thing. It's not as if you're hearing something new. But it's far too easy to forget it when the rush of the world comes in. I realized that for some people, they're having, they're having a wonderful time of the year. And for some, they're having an awful time of their year. For some, in the rush of these things, they're enjoying in the wrong things. And for some, they're grieving. For some, they're remembering past pains that the season comes in. I don't want to be, I don't want to shut my eye to the many things that are happening right now that bring some people to a point that say, huh, yeah, it may be wonderful for you, but not for me and my family. <laughs> Maybe wonderful for most of you, but me, no. But what makes John's claim to the wonder of Christmas different is this. It is not based on the wonder of the situation of life. It is based on the grandness of the divinity of Jesus. If you are not in awe of this, nothing will ever satisfy your awe desires. Our hearts crave for wonder. Have you ever thought of that? People travel halfway around the world just to see sights and places to create in their hearts and evoke in their hearts response that only can be taken in those places, maybe. Most people take the most weird things. They jump off cliff. Right? Bungee jumping, imagine that. Woo! Boom! Then it's done. Just to awe the soul. Just to put something there that is worthwhile for a moment. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Those, everything that we are in awe of in this world are short-lived. Now, how long that is cannot last us to eternity, to eternity. Only the truth that Jesus, this divine word, can. And we're just halfway through the text. So imagine this grand, majestic, and I'm hoping that I'm painting a picture of a God that is greater than my words, quite honestly. Because right now, in the next verse, it will do something that should blow our minds. That this great, wonderful, powerful God in the beginning created everything, hold things together. He became flesh. The infinity taking the finite body feeling pain. Ang tanong sa akin, napuyat kaya si Jesus? Of course, he was man. He felt thirst. He felt hunger. He bled. The Word became flesh. I guess we're, we're not, in the modern day, we're not as awed into this idea because we're so used to it. 
We're so used to imagining Jesus. But think about it. Think about how God went to the flesh. And it's so that He could dwell among us. And this again is a hyperlink to all images that talks about the presence of God. In the garden, He was dwelling with them. And then they rebelled and went out. He appeared in the tents. He was dwelling with them, which is literally what that means. Tent pitching, dwell. And then in the ark, he dwelt. And then in the temple, he dwelt. And then it was destroyed. And everybody was craving for the indwelling of God. But now he's saying, Jesus dwells among us. He's Emmanuel. That's his language. Are we in awe of a Jesus that walks and lives with us? Because through Jesus, He is not only the divine word, He is also the incarnate word. He took on flesh. The idea of the God-man came from this book, um, Why God-Man by Anselm. He asked that question, why would God want to do that? I believe the answer is in the book of John. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And again, one of those words that we use a lot, that we may, may, I, I don't know when was the last time you used glory outside church. Right? glorious glorious makeup. I don't know how, how that works. Because glory has lost, I think, its meaning in its translation. Glory, kavod, is a word that literally means weight. It's the heaviness of something. It's the value of weight. So imagine a boulder so big that when it falls on water, it creates so much ripple. You know, when we were younger, I lived in Batangas. I ako. Pag may, we would go to this beach and we would compete, young boys would. We would find big stones and we would throw it to water. And we'll see the, the biggest boulder would create the biggest ripple, right? When John talks about the glory of God, he's talking about this great weight of God that displaces things. How much of the revealed glory of God Displaces the things in our lives. Displaces worries, fears, doubts. Displaces things. Displaces even our own desires for sinfulness. How much of this glory truly displaces even our plans when this big boulder of truth drops into our lives? And our way to imagine it is this. Modern Christmas celebrations has, has been about celebrating the ripples, but not the boulder. You know? For example, family is a beautiful thing. I love my family. I love celebrating Christmas with my family. This will be the second time I get to celebrate Christmas with my wife and my child. Giving and generosity are great things. I am wonderfully awed whenever I am able to be generous and whenever I am in the receiving end of generosity, right? Diba? Mas madalas yung receiving end, mas masaya talaga yun. Then, then. For you, I know giving is the joy. <laughs> but really, those are ripple effects. Those are not the boulder. 
the world celebrates a lot of the ripple effect. Family, Christmas about fam, Christmas about giving, Christmas about this, Christmas about Those are ripple effects and those are important. But without the boulder that mashes into the life, those are nothing. Those are empty things. The glory of God is the center point. I hope that the words of God through this Apostle John rearrange our view of Christmas. Remind us of what it is. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a person who believes these things, I urge you, consider. This world is benefiting from the ripple effect of Jesus. If Jesus was not born, if Jesus did not become king, women would not be here in this place. There will be an all-men gathering. There won't be equality of women. That's a Christian thing. <laughs> the early Roman Empire, the empires that dominated the world did not value many things that we value today because of the Christmas message, because of the gospel message. Equality, unity and diversity, people kill people in that time just because they aren't of the same ethnicity. But the Jesus message says, no, whether you are black or white or whatever, just come in. This world benefits from this glory coming into history. But the sad reality is that it has neglected Jesus altogether. Because He was full of grace and truth. He is both love and justice. He is both that hug when you need it and a push when you need it. Can you imagine this? Many people take love the grace of Christ, but neglects the truth of Christ. I want the love, but the discipline, nah. Some people choose their truth over the grace. They become stiff Christians. But Jesus came to be the grace and the truth. Notice this. He develops the main point and then repeats John. It's a song. It's a poem. He repeats John this time. The first mention of John is linking to the Old Testament. The second mention of John is linking to the continuing story. He says, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He moves the story New Testament forward, right? Old Testament link, New Testament moving forward. Amazing. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Believe this Christmas, some of us need comfort. And listen to this. This is the message of the incarnate word. If you're here and you need comfort, there's grace upon grace. This is talking about precisely the grace to Moses, which is the law, which pointed to them, protected them, but pointing to them that they cannot do it on their own. But also the grace that came through Christ. It's the grace upon grace. Think of it as... Seashore, again, another image of seashore. The waves that come in, and the wave again, and again, and again, grace upon grace. I believe for some of us, the message of comfort of the incarnate Christ is this, that grace that sustains you to be here is the same grace that, sust that will sustain you till we meet Him again. If you're here and you 
pledge allegiance to this God. Follow them with all your heart, soul, and strength. It is saying grace upon grace in your life. Which does not mean always a comfortable life. But entirely means presence wherever it is. Grace upon grace. But the message for some of us is not of comfort but of challenge. Challenge that if this is true, if the divine word is also the incarnate word, how does this shake our very core? How does this shape our minds, our hearts, our words, our actions, our love, our celebration? How does this awe us? How does this give wonder to our hearts? I hope that we find both the comfort and the challenge in this text. Some of us would go through this Christmas with dark hearts needing the comfort of God. Some of us would bask in the empty celebrations. I hope that we all find Jesus in the center of our Christmas. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side and He has come to make Him known. This word, as we zoom in and close this image, John leaves you with a word that literally means, explains, to show. Jesus came so that we would know God. I've heard people say, Jesus came so that He could understand us. No. No. God can understand us. He created us. I mean, you know, <laughs> without coming here, He knows. But we can, He came so that when we see Jesus, when we read Jesus through the pages of this living word, we get to know Him. And by no, it doesn't mean, you know that word no can be that surface no? Kilala ko yan. I have many people in this place, kilala ko yan. But I can also say, kilala ko yung asawa ko. But that's a fully different kind of knowing. Right? I pray that we would just not say, yeah, Jesus, kilala ko yan. Dumaki na ako dyan eh. I've read that before. I've heard that before. I sung that before. And by singing, reading, and living it, it, be, it has become stale for some of us. I pray not. I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply this word into our hearts and truly make us know Him deeper, more intimately. Athanasius says this the Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal, to teach suffering men. If He wanted only to display to dazzle us, He would have sent His angels. If He wanted just a fancy gathering, He would have sent His host of heaven and paraded them and we'll be in, wow! But no. There's something about Jesus that makes us know Him, reveal God. And redeem us. As we brisk through. Christmas is celebrating Jesus. Why is it a wonderful time of the year? He's the God man. He's fully divine. He's fully man. He came to reveal himself, God. And to redeem his people. At the center point of this text. Which I will close with. If you study the full text. Whole 18 verses. 
And you should study how this builds on something. At the center of it is verse 12 and 13. And specifically, 12, 13. It's at the center of the text. And whenever, a fancy thing about text, and if you like, again, I, I believe 100% of this place love reading the Bible. In the middle of it, if you find it, this is saying something. This is the main point of this song. In fact, why do I say it's the main point? Because it says this, receive Him and become children. And in John chapter 20, it says the same thing. He starts the book with receive, believe, become child. And he ends the book with this. Before he enters into this last story, he ends the book with this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, this specific John book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing, you may have life in His name. He starts with that point. Believe, receive, believe, become child. And He ends with the same point. Believe that He is who He says He is. And by this believing, you have life. For some of you, you have believed this God. Which means that you have been walking your life following this Jesus. I pray that the comfort of grace upon grace, the truth and the grace of God will be upon you. For some of us right here, you have not. In fact, in fact, when you read this, some of us go, believe and I'll become a child of God. Overachievers have a problem with this text. Right? <laughs> believe lang. I need to do something. <laughs> need to put in my time. Need to work my way into believing. No. The gospel is so much so that if you believe, if you put your life into this truth, you are a child of God. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm much afraid that sometimes our celebrations can be too myopic, short-sighted. It has become about things of the moment. But the wonder of Christmas comes from the empty cross. Jesus did not stay as a baby. He lived the perfect life, died a gruesome death. And He rose again. The wonder of Christmas is when He ascends to heaven. He completes the message. Dear Christian, if you're here, allow the Holy Spirit to apply this in your heart once more. And if you're here and you're not, heed the call of the cross. Heed the call of the Spirit. He is talking to you. This Christmas, may it be about Christ through and through. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Because you are the one who would pierce our hearts and work this word through our lives. Lord, in your wonderful sovereign love, draw us closer to you. Especially this season. The world is competing for our all. May our hearts find that awe in you. May our lives be directed once more to you. May we celebrate this Christmas truly 
not because of the circumstances, whether it is the greatest time of the year for us or the worst time of the year, whether it is that we receive the brand new good news and it's really, really good, or it is that we are suffering in this season, may our hearts be refocused, realigned to the truth of your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Thank you so much, JJ. You know, I hope that we are so clear we won't miss the message of what the Apostle John was talking about. Yes, he presented Jesus as two things or two in two ways. He presented Jesus as the divine word and he was the incarnate word. He is fully God and he is also fully man. But you know, if you're coming here and maybe you're asking, okay, so now we're celebrating Christmas. What is that to me now? I hope that you will not miss the whole point of the passage. And somehow what struck me was in verse 17, in John chapter 1, verse 17. If you could just uh, put that on the screen. It says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I hope that we will never miss that fact and the truth that Christmas is not just about us obeying the law and about us being conscious of the law. There's a big difference between the, the ministry of Moses, Moses' ministry and Jesus. Moses brought the law. You know, you're familiar with Moses, right? He, was, he met God in the mountain. He was given the law. He brought us the Ten Commandments, and that's great. But how many of you know that the law does not save us? And in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says the, the law merely makes us conscious of sin. It makes you, you know, point to the fact that you are a sinner, but it does not help you at all. But somehow, you realize your need of a Savior because you're a sinner. But the ministry of Jesus is different. If Moses brought us the law, Jesus brought us grace. Amen. Grace and truth. Jesus did not just point to the law. He made a way for us to be saved, not by obeying the law, but by Him fulfilling the law. So this is so important for us to know and realize that Jesus came here and became a man just like us because through that, He's able to fulfill what the law is unable to do for us. The very first miracle of Moses, if you will try to recall, it was in the River Nile, He turned water into blood. It was in a form of a judgment. But do you remember the first miracle of Christ? It was in a wedding. And he turned water into wine. And wine, when he was talking about in the Last Supper, he, it symbolizes his blood. It was a foreshadow and a prediction of what's going to happen on that cross. And what he is saying is this covenant... I am signing with my very own blood so that whoever believes in me will be saved. And this is exactly what John was talking about. All these things in John chapter 20 verse 31, all these things were written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that when you believe, you will have life, life in His name. 
Can we just bow our heads all across this room and once again just commit this time to the Lord. If you are here today and you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, He came here 2,000 years ago, became a man just like us. But he, it was not just because that he can celebrate Christmas. He became a man so that he can be the Lamb of God who can be sacrificed on the cross and shed his blood so that we can receive grace and truth. Not by observing the law, but he fulfilled the law by himself. If you're here today and if you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to lift up your hand right now. So that very simply, by believing, you can receive life through his name. Anyone at all? If this is your first time, maybe you've been here for a while, but you have not received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to receive His name and receive eternal life. Anyone at all? Thank you, Lord. It's for a few seconds before we come to a close. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you so much for the life that you've given each and every one of us. Thank you indeed that in, as Jesus Christ came here 2,000 years ago, He came to give us grace and truth, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that Jesus indeed was the Word that became flesh. And He made His dwelling. He tabernacled. And He was Emmanuel, the one who stayed with us. We thank you, Lord God, for the purity of our devotion with you, Lord God. Knowing full well that as we have put our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then we are saved and we have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com victoryph.